0: Hello and a very warm welcome to Radio Prague International from me, David Vaughan. This week I'm going to be bringing you the seventh programme in our series In Their Own Words that tells the story of this country through some of the sounds that i found in our rich radio archives. This week brings us to the Second World War and we'll be hearing broadcasts both from within occupied Bohemia and Moravia and from Czechs and Slovaks who are fighting Hitler from outside the country. Some of the extracts are quite well known, but our archives also hold many surprises, rare recordings that give us unexpected insights into life during wartime. One of the most powerful of all recordings in our archives comes from four days after German troops marched into Prague on the 15th of March 1939, beginning six years of occupation. We hear the popular Czech broadcaster Frantekoczorek who was given the awful task of reporting live on a huge military parade from the top of Wenceslas Square, with an officer of the Wehrmacht by his side. His report, thinly veiled in symbolic language, captures the despair of the nation. At this moment, huge anti-aircraft guns are passing, pulled on tractors, each manned by 12 soldiers. Behind them are further smaller anti-aircraft guns and searchlights. But I would also like to talk about one thing that has nothing to do with the military. From somewhere far away, a huge black crow has flown into Prague. I have seen it spread its wings and sweep down above the square over the searchlights and the listening devices being paraded here by the German army. It must be surprised at the noise and all that is going on beneath it. This and similar broadcasts over the coming months were to cost Franta kozorek his life. He was arrested and perished in 1942 in Auschwitz-Birkenau. At the beginning of the occupation, there was an illusion of normality, but radio in the so called protectorate of Bohemia and Moravia also featured plenty of Nazi propaganda. At the height of the Blitzkrieg, the Germans sent a team of Czech journalists to Belgium to report on the successes of the Wehrmacht as German troops swept towards the Channel ports.
1: Like Gendt and beautiful bridges, are still
0: Cities like Ghent and the beautiful old town of Bruges remain untouched, the reporter says. But in the villages where the enemy offered resistance, we saw the ruins of houses destroyed by artillery or aerial torpedoes. The streets were lined by the wrecks of tanks, cars and other military material. They seemed to me like road signs marking the retreat of the English and the Belgians towards the coast.
1: At the end of 1939,
0: the BBC in London began its broadcasts in Czech to counter German propaganda. Rozloučili jsme se s prvním transportem československých dobrovolců. Volá Londin, London Calling, became the familiar call sign of the Czech broadcasts. Here, the BBC is reporting about Czech and Slovak volunteers marching past the Czechoslovak embassy in Grosvenor Place, singing patriotic songs before being sent out to fight in France alongside their British comrades.
1: ještě <laughs> ne.
0: Jerzy Voskovets and Jan až Verich, chvilku, who had been famous in the Prague of the 1920s and 30s for their satirical cabaret, were now in exile in the United States. Their broadcasts from Washington, bitter satires on Nazi Germany, also became part of life in their occupied homeland. But it took courage to listen. As tuning into foreign stations was punishable by death. In the meantime, in the occupied protectorate, what had been the German-language broadcasts of Czechoslovak radio were absorbed into the broadcasts of the Reich, the so-called ReichsSender, and some of these recordings also survive in the Czech radio archives. One of them is from June 1941, and it features an interview with a nurse who was living and working in Prague. She remembers with great nostalgia one particular patient who came into her care during the First World War. This is how the broadcast began.
2: Ward sister Anna is the nurse who in
0: 1918 in the Pasarwalc Field Hospital looked after a lance corporal who had been wounded and blinded by gas. Her patient was Adolf Hitler.
2: Von Erlebnissen mit Adolf Hitler.
0: The announcer utters the Führer's name in a tone of deepest reverence, and then Ward sister Anna goes on to recall her memories with an evident sense of deep pride.
3: On the 7th of October 1918, I had to bring a transport with wounded soldiers from France to Pasewalk, One of them was Lance Corporal Adolf Hitler. On the train, my thoughts were with him in particular. As often as I could, I sat by his bed because his words about his comrades always brought comfort. He once said, A new Germany must awaken. His observation when we said farewell and he left the field hospital was, Even though at the moment I'm unable to see, I shall struggle to see within.
0: As a God-fearing Christian, Ward sister Anna is clearly a little bothered by the idea that Adolf Hitler might be anything less than a good Christian himself. Her tone becomes increasingly
1: grotesque.
3: I want to add that it's not true what people so often say about fearer that he has no faith. He is one of God's chosen ones. On the belt buckle of each soldier, I see the words, God with us. If back then someone had said to me that Lance Corporal Adolf Hitler would one day become the fear of a nation of 80 million, I might well have laughed. But you could tell from his character that this soldier was something special. There has never been anything like it in the history of the world.
1: So etwas war in der Weltgeschichte noch nicht da gewesen.
0: She ends by describing a letter she wrote some years later that reminds us of the hypnotic power that Hitler must have held over so many people at the time.
1: In 1935,
3: I wrote to my beloved Führer for the first time, I must get this off my chest. My Führer, I could be your mother... How good it would be if a dear mother's hand could run lovingly through your hair, because sometimes you seem so alone with all your worries and work. But no, my fearer, you are not alone. God and your whole nation love you.
0: Any illusion of at least partial independence in the Protectorate came to an end in September 1941, when Hitler appointed Reinhard Heydrich as acting Reichsprotector of Bohemia and Moravia. The radio reported on his inauguration at Prague Castle as a military band played the German national anthem. Hrvodzhar was one of the darkest figures of the Third Reich and one of the prime instigators of the Holocaust. Almost immediately, he arrested the prime minister of the Czech puppet government, Alois Eliáš, who had maintained secret contacts with the Czechoslovak government in exile in London.
1: On October 2, 1941,
0: the radio announced Eliáš's execution. But Heydrich's reign was to be short-lived. Seven months later, he was assassinated by Jan Kubiš and Josef Gabčík, who had been parachuted to the Protectorate from London. He died from his wounds eight days later. In the wake of the assassination, the Nazis took extreme measures to suppress any hint of Czech resistance. They started with huge gatherings on Prague's Old Town Square, at which Czechs were expected to demonstrate their loyalty to the Reich. The first of these was on June the 2nd, when Heydrich was still dying in hospital. And one of those who spoke was the collaborationist Prime Minister Jaroslav Krejci, whose words held a thinly concealed threat. Those of you who think it is enough just to express a few words of loyalty to the Reich and then go back to your old indifference are mistaken. The government will set up new bodies to control thoroughly just how well orders are respected. Anyone who fails to act in the interest of our nation and our obligations to the Reich will be punished as he deserves. To reinforce the message, the Gestapo began arresting and executing checks in huge numbers, reading out the long lists every day in their radio broadcasts.
4: The
0: Nazis trumped up a connection between the assassination and the village of Lidice a few kilometres west of
1: Prague.
0: In the course of searching for the murderers of SS Obergruppenführer Obergruppenführer Heydrich, irrefutable evidence has been found that the inhabitants of the village, Lidice near Kladno, gave support and help to the
1: perpetrators.
0: On the night from the 9th to the 10th of June 1942, the Nazis destroyed the entire
1: village.
0: After the inhabitants of the village, through their activities and support for the murderers of SS Obergruppenführer Heydrich, broke the law in the most blatant way, the male adults have been shot, the women transferred to a concentration camp and the children taken away for suitable education. The buildings of the village have been razed to the ground and the name of the village has been wiped
1: out. In total, more than 340
0: villagers were killed, including the great majority of the children. But in propaganda terms, the destruction of Lidice was hugely counterproductive for the Nazis. It helped to rally support among the Allies for the cause of defeating Hitler. Here is the Czechoslovak president-in-exile, Edvard Beneš, talking from London just after the massacre.
4: Heydrich is dead, so are hundreds of innocent Czechs, among them women and youth under the age of 18. So are all the men who lived in the little village of Ligice. Their mothers Their wives and sisters are in a concentration camp. But in our own records and in the records of humanity, the name of Lidice will loom large. Lidice will live forever. And we must all stand together in order to prepare after victory has been achieved a peace in Europe of which we could already today solemnly declare that all that we are passing through now, today, in this war, will never happen again.
0: A huge demonstration held in London in March 1943 was broadcast on shortwave to occupied Europe with a message of solidarity.
1: London
2: calls Prague. Londin Ravi Prahu. We are now going to give a pledge which will be broadcast from this hall to the Czechoslovak people and to the rest of Europe over the heads of the enemy. This is the pledge. Together we shall fight. In a world at war, let us build together a world of peace. Londin, Stravi, Rahul!
0: A few years ago, someone at the Czech Foreign Ministry stumbled upon a trunk, which contained a large number of old gramophone records. It was clear from the labels that many of them were made in Britain during the war. It turned out that they were a combination of broadcasts made by the BBC and the Czechoslovak government in exile as part of the propaganda war effort in support of Czechoslovakia. Here is a short extract from one broadcast devoted to the Czechoslovak airmen serving in the Royal Air Force.
5: song sung in a foreign land, a song written in Czechoslovakia before the war and played now in England. The men who are singing to you are men who have escaped from their own country and are now serving in Britain in the great Allied air offensive against Germany. Men of the 1st Czech Fighter Squadron. The pilot's room is a hut on the edge of the airfield. Before the door, there are flower beds where they have created in flowers and earth and gravel a map of Czechoslovakia, symbol of a united loyalty. Come inside. Some are playing chess on a camp bed. Under the table, nose on paws, eye cocked on his master, Dragon, the Alsatian, keeps watch. Music and chess, occupations of the waiting hours.
0: Another recording found in the same box is from the 17th of November 1944, marking the 5th International Students' Day, which was introduced to remember the date when the Nazis closed institutions of higher education in occupied Bohemia and Moravia.
2: He had been wounded in the mass demonstrations on October 28th, machine gunned like thousands of others. These students stood bareheaded and silent at his gravesite as the air spattered down over his coffin. His spirit was still alive.
0: The closure, accompanied by mass arrests, followed demonstrations by Czech students and teachers. One student, Jan Opletal, had been shot and died a few days later.
2: After his funeral, they were frightened. They said to each other, We must crush this living spirit. How can it be done? They chose the only way they knew. It was a few hours before dawn on November the 17th.
0: The programme takes the form of a radio play. It is extremely well written and is probably the same broadcast as one mentioned in the BBC's Radio Times a year earlier, written by the poet Louis
2: MacNeice. His spirit was still alive. He we went away to make more plans, to organise more sabotage. And the Germans knew that
0: By the second half of the war, the nominal president of the Protectorate of Bohemia and Moravia, Emil Hacha, was already a broken man, having failed to preserve even a fragment of Czech autonomy. On March 15, 1944, Hacha delivered a speech on Prague radio to mark the fifth anniversary of the beginning of the occupation. It was only meant to be a brief message, but by then he was already sick and weak, scarcely able even to play the grotesque ceremonial role that he had been left by the Nazis. The radio reporters who went up to the castle to record the speech had a great deal more difficulty than they expected. The entire recording is preserved, including several failed attempts by the ailing Hacha to speak coherently. On several occasions, his voice breaks down completely. At one point, the reporter, Josef Cinsibus, cautiously interrupts the president. That was fine, he says diplomatically. But perhaps, Mr. President, it would be a good idea to read it again, a bit louder, and as if you really felt what you were saying. Cinsibus goes on to demonstrate by reading a couple of sentences. This bizarre scene is repeated on several occasions until, on the 11th attempt, the final version is recorded. The speech goes as follows. (laughs) Dear fellow citizens, five years is not a long time in the life of a nation, but enough to destroy it for several generations. We have seen this in the example of some other small nations. Sometimes, There is only a moment between the path of life and the path of death. It was at one such moment that we decided that our future life lay within the greater German Reich. Since that time, we have faced many obstacles, but we have managed to remain intact. I have noticed that as a nation, we could even be said to be rising in terms of our inner strength. This is the most important proof that we followed the right path. I ask you to continue under all circumstances to be faithful to this country's leaders, to the Reich, whose victory will bring you and your children a happy future. May God's good will never leave us. By that time, the tide of war was already turning. Less than three months after Hacher's speech, on June 6th, 1944, Czech and Slovak airmen in Britain's Royal Air Force took part in D-Day. And a few weeks later, the 1st Czechoslovak Armoured Brigade was deployed, its mission to besiege the German-held French port of Dunkirk. It was to the Czechoslovak Brigade that the German garrison was eventually to surrender in May 1945.
4: This is a Czechoslovak government dispatch, recorded at Dunkirk on 21st January, describing a visit of Red Army men.
0: In January 1945, Czech reporters from London came to visit Czechoslovak troops outside Dunkirk, where they had been joined by over 800 Red Army men. The Soviet commander opened proceedings with a greeting in Russian. His men were Soviet soldiers who had escaped from German prisoner and labour camps in Holland and Belgium and had managed to survive in hiding until they were liberated. Now they were getting ready to go home, and the Czechoslovak troops in France wanted to thank them for the Red Army's victories on the Eastern Front. As we can hear, the celebrations were loud and enthusiastic. Oh, Nearly 2,000 miles to the east, the Nazi empire was also shrinking fast. In Slovakia, the town of Banska Bistrica became the focus of the Slovak national uprising that broke out at the end of August 1944, when Slovaks rebelled against the Nazis. Radio played a role in rallying Slovaks to join the rebellion. Here, the speaker is appealing to citizens and army reservists. At the same time, the Red Army, including over 16,000 Czechoslovak troops, was approaching from the north and east. Soviet radio, through the voice of its legendary broadcaster, Yuri Levitan, informed of the Red Army's advances as troops penetrated Czechoslovak territory. But the Red Army offensive was to meet far tougher German resistance than had been expected. In the two-month campaign that came to be known as the Dukla-Preshov operation, 21,000 Soviet troops lost their lives, along with nearly 2,000 Czechoslovak soldiers. We are in Prague. It is just before midday on St. Valentine's Day, February 14th, 1945, and we hear the familiar sound of an air-raid siren, captured here in a Czech broadcast from the time. In previous weeks, Czechs had got used to the sirens, as Allied bombers had launched raid after raid on German cities. But so far, the German-occupied Czech capital had been spared. This time, it was different. Around lunchtime, a fleet of American flying fortresses dropped 152 tonnes of bombs over the densely populated centre of the city. The result was 701 people killed and over a 1,000 injured. The bombing was probably a mistake, as a huge raid on nearby Dresden was underway at the same time. But it gave the German occupiers a perfect opportunity to turn the raid into a propaganda coup. Here was Prague Radio the next day. Yesterday, we fully understood the meaning of the word terror, the reporter declares. With the building still on fire, he goes on to describe the scene in a city cafe where dozens of unidentified bodies are lying, burnt or dug out from the ruins. A few days later, The dead were buried and the mass funeral was a big propaganda opportunity. The reporter describes how the city's Nazi officials, with their right arms raised in a Hitler salute, say their final farewell as the dead are buried in their simple wooden coffins. While the bombing of Prague was a mistake, Air raids on some of the heavily industrial towns and cities of the Protectorate most definitely were not. Here, the Protectorate radio in the city of Brno announces, first in German and then in Czech, that it is suspending broadcasts as enemy aircraft are approaching. In
2: a series of air raids in 1944 and
0: 1945, Brno suffered considerable damage in residential as well as industrial areas. 1,200 people lost their lives, and over 12,000 buildings were damaged. But the air raids also marked the beginning of the end of the German occupation. We'll be hearing more in the next edition of the programme in two weeks' time. In the meantime, from me, David Vaughan, and from all of us here at Radio Prague International, goodbye.